0: Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Great Takes from the Great Lakes presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Before we get started, a huge shout out to Stephen Hayes and, of course, Tunnel Vision Sports for greenlighting this. The three of us are so excited, so excited to finally get this sucker out on the air uh, for all you guys to hear, and particularly excited this week because we have just so much to talk about. Uh we're gonna start in the NFL where of course uh we have that blockbuster trade to talk about. Um we'll also be talking Aaron Rodgers and that mess of a situation. Uh Luke Maury, take us onto the ice. What you got for us there? Well, there's a couple of interesting things similar to the uh the NFL where we've got a couple things
1: off the off the ice where Jack Eichel probably gonna be traded soon. So we're gonna talk a little bit about where he might end up and some of the places that would make sense for Buffalo to trade him to. Also, Vegas and Montreal are playing right now. They're in overtime. Uh, Montreal's up right now without their head coach. It's crazy stuff. And then Lightning and Islanders are tied up. So we're going to talk about who is making it out and who's
0: winning the cup. Mr. Alex Dymel has us covered in the diamond. What's hot this week, Alex?
2: What's hot? Let's try who's hot. <laughs> Jacob de Oh my good. By far the best player in baseball at the moment. Uh, closely tailing him would be, obviously, I think Fernando Tatis Jr. We're going to get into who we think is going to come in or who we think is going to be a big name for the All-Star Weekend, who we think we could see taking the home run derby. Obviously, Shohei Otani just committed to the derby. We're going to talk about some other midseason predictions, what we see for the playoffs. It could get interesting.
0: And we are going to finish it up in the association where we officially have both conference finals matchups set. It is the most wonderful time of the year. We are ticking down towards the NBA finals. We just watched uh game one of Phoenix Clippers. Of course, the Suns took the win. What's gonna happen with the five seed in the East in the conference finals on the pot to knock off perhaps one of the most talented teams in NBA history? Uh, you're gonna have to find out. Let's get started.
2: righty, let's get started in the NFL. Obviously. Big blockbuster trade, probably the biggest one of. I think it's safe to say, without the off season, the rest of the off season happening, I think it's going to be the biggest blockbuster of the off season. Mark my words. Julio Jones traded to Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill has to be the happiest man on the planet right now. He just has to be. There's there's no there's no going against it. Is now not only as a bowling ball of a running back, but he has Julio Jones and AJ Brown as his number one and two. I, I don't think you can ask for really much more. Um, As a quarterback, any thoughts?
1: I mean, like, as a Colts fan, this made me very sad. Like, (laughs) our chances of winning the uh, the AFC South are kind of out the window. But I mean, yeah, looking at what they got, like, what they had to give up, the Titans had to give up for him the twenty twenty two second round pick and a fourth in twenty twenty three, and they got Julio Jones in a sixth round pick. And like, it's just kind of showing that, like, yeah, everybody kind of clowned Bill O'Brien when he traded away D Hop, which is fair, Bill O'Brien. You know, he did, he did some questionable things as a.
0: I will fan. continue to clown him. I still will. <laughs> you're I fully also, justified.
2: I it. think some questionable things might be a bit of a stretch. I think it's safe to say a lot of questionable things. Um, I, I think he belongs to the Texans. We enjoyed I, I, playing we never we enjoy Penn State, game. but. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we enjoyed playing the Texans, that's all I'll say. <laughs> but you're starting to see that, like, you really can't get a great return for high end receivers now. Like, people are expecting to get good receivers coming out of the draft. Which is fair. I mean, look at Justin Jefferson. Like, I mean, all the guys this year, Devonta Smith, that you're just expecting to be really high-end guys as soon as they're on the field. And it's just hard to get, you know, what you're coming back for. Because, I mean, Julio Jones, just a couple years ago, had a 300-yard receiving game. And now you're trading him for a second round and a fourth? Like, that's just insane.
2: Yeah, more more stats on Julio. three seasons. He's one of four players in the NFL ever to have three seasons with plus 1,500 yard receiving yards also just has just under thirteen thousand receiving yards in his career. That's over nine seasons. Um I think it's safe to say he is a future Hall of Famer for the NFL. And I will say after nine years and one Super Bowl appearance, I wouldn't blame him for wanting to change scenery. I think he's making a and I think he's joining one hack of the spot. I say I think it's safe to say that social media recruiting in some form, in some way, is working. We saw it with DeAndre Hopkins. Now we're seeing Julio Jones. Who knows? This could be a new wave of how transactions are dealt with in professional sports.
0: I mean, who knows? We might see uh, Mr. Rogers end up getting recruited that way. Um, um, oh, boy. I would love it as a Lions fan to see him uh, perhaps terrorize someone else this season. Um, but Aaron Rogers, uh if you haven't been following has, quote, divided the fan base of uh the Green Bay Packers. And honestly, it has divided, I think, NFL fan bases everywhere. Because uh, to be honest with you, whether he plays for the Green Bay Packers or not, I think is borderline 50-50. I don't know if I can say with confidence whether he will be playing in the NFC North this season or not. But it is absolutely a lead-shifting move, whether he stays or not, whether he plays for the team or not. And honestly, whether he plays past the season or not, even if he does end up staying with the Packers, I don't know about you guys, but I am monitoring monitoring that very closely. I will be very interested to perhaps get Rodgers out of the Lions division. Uh You think that's a possibility?
2: No complaints. Truly no complaints. As you said, I'm also a Lions fan. Um, I think one interesting thing to bring up is, obviously you said, uh, you know, they quote-unquote divided fan base. That came straight from the Packers' president, Mark Murphy. And he went on to call Rogers a, quote, complicated fella. I don't know about you guys, but if, my, if the president of my team called me a complicated fella in that context, would not be his biggest fan. But, hey, it's been... I don't remember the last time. Obviously, there was actually no last time for me that Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing in Packers uniform because he's been playing with them his entire career. And so, who knows? This could be a new wave of the NFL. It could be another you know, a generational shift where it's like with Tom Brady, who's a uh, Patriot forever. Now he's another you know, era in Tampa Bay. We could see that with Aaron Rodgers as well, another elite quarterback. And like you said, as a Lions fan, would not be uh, opposed to it at all. Well, one
1: interesting thing is looking at the Packers history. There's no Packers quarterback that's played more than 16 seasons with them. Bart Starr, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers have all played 16. So is Rodgers going to be the first one to break that, or is he going to keep moving on and keep that tradition going?
2: It's it's an interesting point, but also I do want to touch on. Speaking of Brett Favre, Rodgers when he was drafted, Brett Favre still played. I think it was I want to say it was another season or two that Brett Favre was his mentor, his coach two drafts it was the 2019 draft the Packers took with their first round selection a quarterback which was the big I was I in my understanding the big issue that started everything with the you know pa- the Aaron Rodgers versus the Packers front office um obviously I was getting any help exactly and Jordan Love obviously the quarterback out of Utah State interestingly enough Had a much better sophomore season, college, and junior season. Uh, He had a 150.3 QBR his sophomore season, and then followed by a 129.1 QBR his junior year. Do we think after a year of watching Aaron Rodgers, and even with everything that happened, do you think he's ready to be a franchise quarterback
0: in Green Bay? I mean, I don't know. Franchise quarterback might be a stretch. I I think the real issue here is Jordan Love can step up Be a solid quarterback for them, especially in what is probably set to be a relatively, um, you know, easy, uh, division. I don't want to say easy, but not the most difficult division in the NFC North. Uh, certainly we'll see what Justin Fields does panning out in Chicago. But I think the real issue is not how well Jordan Love can do. It's more of the opportunity cost of saying, you have the possibility of Aaron Rodgers on the table and you're calling him a complicated fella and doing anything that's not borderline clean to perhaps the most talented quarterback ever to try to get at least one more season, one more run out of him. Because why would you want anything less than that when you have that opportunity? I will say though, as good as
2: Jordan Love can be, he can't be a great quarterback in the NFL without some support. And one of the things that I think people are failing to realize is it's not just Aaron Rodgers that has been sitting out of the Packers uh, OTAs. Star receiver Devontae Adams has been out as well, along with pretty much their entire receiving core. You simply cannot be a good quarterback without receivers. Obviously, that's not how the game works. So I do think the Pack- I do think this is on the organization in of uh, in some fashion and I do think they need to get to the table and find a way to figure this out other than going to the media and discussing it that way. But who knows? Um, like I said, not to put too, private, uh, too much of a point on it, but if Aaron Rodgers isn't on the Packers anymore and the rest of the, their receivers want to sit out, I got no issue. I got no issue.
1: Yeah, but like you're saying, I mean, it takes a whole team. And we're seeing that in the NBA with, like, I mean, the complete team's that are in the, you know, we're seeing both conference finals set up right now. And there have been a lot of injuries this uh, postseason. But the more healthy teams are kind of sticking it out so far. Christian, what are your thoughts on the basketball so far?
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't know if you guys or if anybody listening saw Suns Clippers game game one. I'm getting a old uh, jersey pump from uh, Mr. No. Dimal here. That's great. No. Uh, Valley jersey, a little D-book for us. Um, but going into this matchup, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I was, I don't know. I think disappointed is the right word. Chris Paul was still in kind of the NBA's, uh, COVID protocol. Uh, he tested positive last week. We're still kind of not sure the timetable when he's going to be back. Hawaii Leonard, uh, kind of landed on his right knee weird the end of the Jazz series. Um, he did not travel with the team do talk, so he's going to be out game one and two for sure. Perhaps for the rest of the season, they're fearing it's maybe an ACL-related injury. Not sure at this point, but I was ready to honestly throw away kind of game one, perhaps even both the two first games in Phoenix, just because they're both missing what is, you know, their star player, perhaps their best player for both teams. Oh, yeah, I was so wrong. Devin Booker versus Paul George was electric, electric. Phoenix, the stadium was rocking. That Feed me that triple-double. Incredible. 40-point incredible triple-double. Oh, my gosh. It was absolutely insane. For any of you that didn't see the game, I am not kidding here. It's going to sound a little weird, but go back and watch just the third quarter in real time. Booker scored 18 in just the third, including 16 straight Suns points. Paul George had the 16 himself. He scored or assisted on 16 straight there in that uh little run there. And let me tell you, Devin Booker is unconscious. He's automatic, I don't know, breathtaking, electrifying. Whatever word you want to put in there, It's it works for him. He's it. Booker is that guy. He had a 40-point triple-double in his first Western Conference Finals ever. He's doing it without CP3, of all the people, the best assist man in the league. I don't know. It's it's hard to see without, if they're doing this without CP3, it's hard to see the Suns going anywhere but the finals. But, I mean, Luke is exactly right. It was that entire team. Booker had 40 11 assists, stepping up huge and distributing, playing the point a lot, 13 rebounds. All three of those stats were game highs, 15 to 29 from the field. But it wasn't just that. For me, the big deal was 8 and 20 and 9 on 10 of 14 shooting. Mikhail Bridges, 14 points. Crowder, 13. Cam Johnson, 12 off the bench. Cam Payne, of all people, he was in the G League last year, starting. In for Chris Paul had just a casual, just a little 11 points and nine assists. Absolutely huge. The Suns have, Suns have won eight straight games. That is going to be such a fun series to watch. I'm,
2: I'm going to say it once and I'm not going to say it again. Suns and four. (laughs) Suns
0: and four. Suns and four. See that guy. That guy was at the game again. D Book reached out to him. Um, there was a guy. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know this started um little altercation well uh just- <laughs> uh was throwing some punches uh in that first round series in the stands. And as he's kinda getting dragged out, he just goes sons and four. And Devin Booker reached out, found his info, hooked him up with a side jersey and a ticket to game one. And he was there taking pictures with everybody holding up the four. Oh, Phoenix was electric, dude. That was so much fun. And
2: obviously, I think it's safe to say that the, the violence is not our favorite part. However, I lied earlier. I am going to say it again. <laughs> Sons and four. Sons and four.
0: Sons and, four. Sons and
2: four. That's going to be my motto for the rest of the for this NBA playoff series. And into the when they make the championship series, that's going to be my motto. I, I don't know. With the amount of... I don't remember. I, you guys, I think, will probably get it better than I would with their drought that they went through without mm-hmm. an NBA playoff appearance. It yeah. is absolutely amazing to see them back. It it does take me back to the young Steve Nash days and watching him unfortunately go out against the Bucks yesterday. At least for uh for KD and the Nets that was I I mean we were texting during that in our group chat during mm-hmm. that entire game and I remember specifically sending texts like, Can this just be over? I don't have a dog <laughs> in this fight, but this game itself is just becoming so nerve wracking because there were so many I mean, clearly clear all stars, clear legends that were playing mm-hmm. in that game that it didn't we didn't know who was gonna take the final shot. We didn't know what the score was gonna come mm-hmm. out to because they were battling so hard. I think Katie had the dagger to what I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, send them a overtime. To OG. And then
0: long feet, dude. Oh, my goodness.
2: It, he he truly is Slenderman. Mm-hmm. He truly, mm-hmm. there, it's, there's a no Slim Reaper, baby. there's exactly. Slim Reaper. But it's uh, that entertaining game as it gets. I mean, we've been so spoiled as sports fans with oh the gosh. amount of Game 7s, the amount of overtime games in the NHL, which we'll get into later. The excitement factor, especially after a season, of a weird season with Corona, there have been, in general, zero complaints with how this series is going especially obviously that we don't have too many dogs in the fight as detroit fans christian and i so it's been nice oh. to get some entertaining sports all
0: right real quick real quick before we move on to nets bucks i know luke's gonna spend some time on nets bucks so i gotta get this in real quick i don't want to dawdle too much um but i gotta give credit where credit is due um in that jazz clippers series um there was there was a moment in that for those of you that don't know Donovan Mitchell was kind of dealing with uh, a right ankle strain that was pretty bad most of that series especially the second half of that series the last three or four games it was hurting him something bad and especially in those you know that last game he was he was clear it was clearly killing him you know time and time again every time he had to run down the floor and there was a moment in that game 6 where it was kind of uh i think it was Whoever it was, uh Royce O'Neal, I think, hit a three from the right wing. Uh seven-point game, ninety seconds left. Jazz need a stop. They you know, they're right back in. If they get a stop, go get a bucket. If not, you know, they get sent home in the second round after having the best record in the entire NBA. And Pat Bev knocks down a three, ends the game, ends the series. Effectively, there's still a minute left, and you know, it's kind of sad. And Mitchell's bringing the ball up the floor. And he gets fouled by, uh, Reggie Jackson, former piston. And Reggie kind of falls over and like slides. It was this weird thing where Reggie like hit the floor and slid. And then like very next step, like a split second later, Donovan's uh, foot hit the floor, like right where Reggie had just slid from, like the one square inch west spot on the whole floor and just eat it right into like a little hockey stretch where his one leg's pinned under him. And it looked so painful in his, I'm sure it destroyed his knee and his ankle and killed his hamstring shooting out like that. He rolled over on his stomach and just laid there for like a full 30 seconds, just like head in his hands and got up, you know, shot the free throws, whatever. And I cannot imagine the combination <clears throat> of physical pain that he was feeling and then emotional pain of getting knocked out like that. My man finished with 39, nine and nine on one leg. Left every bit of it out on the floor. I just needed to shout him out real quick. I don't know. I'll let, I'll let, uh, Alex or, uh, Luke rather get started on Nets and bucks. Well, I mean, like what you're saying,
1: like, you gotta shout out the people that have been doing it either injured or, you know, trying. I mean, I mean we can't go through talking about the NBA without talking about KD and what mm-hmm. he did. Like, he put it, left it all out on the court. Like, as a, Net, if you're a Nets fan, if you're an NBA fan, like, you gotta be happy with how this ended up. Like, Kevin Durant put everything in, in that he had, and they Absolutely. almost won. They almost won that series with basically one and a half of their big three. And I mean, like you guys were talking about the long feet of Kevin Durant, like he was going for the dagger because I mean, like Alex was saying, was like, can this please be over? Kevin Durant was saying the exact same thing. He was playing every single minute. I'm pretty sure he's still playing minutes. Like he's he's still logging minutes somewhere. <laughs> like he he left everything on the floor, and you gotta you gotta respect that.
0: Games five and seven, he did not leave the court for one single second of game time. That is wild. Lo- it's
1: insane. You, you really got to respect it. But I mean, now we're looking forward. Eastern Conference Finals. We're looking at the uh, Bucks and Hawks, which is going to be an interesting series. Um, like Christian was saying, I've got some some takes on uh, Giannis and the Bucks. <laughs> I think. Um, and we might not see it now because now that they made the Eastern Conference Finals, I think Budenholzer's job is pretty safe. I don't think they are going to fire him unless mm-hmm. they get blown out, mm-hmm. and I don't see that happening against the Hawks team, which is good, but not good enough to sweep them or anything like that. But a lot of people were talking, you know, during the the fi- the uh, matchup against the Nets, where it's like, why isn't Giannis on KD? You know, why is Giannis I, taking all these? Threes? I said that about a
0: hundred times. I was <laughs> to my TV. You
1: know, why isn't why is Giannis taking all these pull up threes? Why isn't he just going to the? You know, going to the rim and dunking every single time because nobody can stop him. And let me tell you, a lot of people were blaming Budenholzer. I think it's on Giannis. <laughs> I think what we're I'm what with we, you. What we would have realized if Budenholzer got fired, because I think he might have gone to the Pacers and I think he would have done well there. But you never, you're not going to know now. So that's just uh, speculation. But Giannis wants to be the kind of superstar that KD is, where he can control the ball. You know, he can score from anywhere. And Giannis just isn't that player. He doesn't have that shot. He's a dominant player. He deserves both his MVPs. He's a defensive player of the year candidate. Like, he is incredible. But he's not the type of guy where you want... Like, you can't have him taking the last shot. You, like You We saw that last night when they we were playing. Like, he doesn't have the, the last shot potential that KD does. Because it's not that he doesn't want the smoke, but I think he wants to be a different type of... He, he wants to be a different type of player than what he
0: actually is. I mean he did take a couple last shots, but like he, he's trying fade away base fly middies for out on the kumbo. is that really what we want to see i do you're right though I mean, like Middleton was their closer for real exactly,
2: and I do have to say watching that game I had when when threw up that shot an instant kind of mind just like flashback to. Michigan, UCLA of this year's March Madness tournament. Man, Don't
0: do this, come Hans, on, now.
2: I I have to bring it up because it was so it was so just wildly just frustrating in the moment. Come on,
0: give me. He was so. Flashbacks right it now. Was,
2: it was such a weird play call to have Franz Wagner after the game that he had had throw up a fadeaway three to try to win the game. It was one of those things where I I was staring at my TV and saying, "What in the world just happened?" And I mean, obviously with, with Giannis's firepower and the way he's been playing in the last couple of years, I would not, it didn't surprise me that they wanted to put the ball in his hands because I think it's safe to say he's been a very dominant basketball player. But at the same time, was
0: it the right decision? Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves now. We, we are slandering a man that just dropped 40, 10, and five in for the first time in NBA history, no one has done that in the game seven. That's that stat line ever, ever. We, we're finding a way to, you know, trash on a guy, not trash on a guy, cause I think he deserves it a little bit and he needs to, I think, mean, step it up for sure. But he's, he's a walking 25 and 10 efficient double, double. And I don't know. I am with you though. It feels like it's on Giannis. If you're the deploy, if you were first team all defense this year, which he was, and you're this kind of player, you get that's on you to go. Like if if Bud comes up to you and is like, hey man, we're having we're putting PJ on KD, we're gonna show him to you a little bit defensively, but you're gonna be in a lot of help. You're gonna come over on that can roll a lot and guard the paint. How do you not just look him dead in the eyes and say, No? I'm going to go guard Kevin Durant. He's the best scorer in the world. I'm perhaps right now the top three defender in the world. I'm not go and at least give a chance to check that. P.J. was spitting out quotes left and right this series about, you know, it's such a fun time guarding him because it's, you know, he's perhaps the best scorer ever, and I'm just trying to do my best out there. How does how does Giannis not say, let me get a crack at him, let me take one game and see if I can slow him down, a little bit. And he just didn't. Exactly. And yeah. I think like, <clears throat> we would have seen more
1: quotes. If it was on Budenholzer, we would have seen more quotes from Giannis or players being like, we need to change up our coaching. You know, we got to change up our systems. We got to change up over calling. But we're not seeing that, which makes me think that it's really like is just going with Giannis because you have to, if you have a superstar of that level, you know, you got to, you got to please them. I mean, what we're seeing with the Mavericks right now, if you're not, you know, if you're not riding with a, the superstar caliber, you're going to be kicked to the wayside. And I think, you know, is trying his best to make sure Giannis is happy, but Giannis is just trying to be a superstar player that he isn't, while still being a superstar player. He I mean he deserves his two time MVPs, like you're saying, he's a dominant player. Like probably the most dominant paint scorer we've seen since Shaq, like he and Embiid, hundred percent. The like they're insanely good, but any shot, any possession that ends or begins with a Giannis three pointer is a one defensive possession.
0: All right, they they are frustrating when you see him take one dribble and do his little, like, bounce pass jump shot that takes, like, four years to set up, but he is shooting 61% in the paint. Like, he just needs to get focused and, like, say, look around the court, look at the other five guys, you know, across this court from you and say, not a single one of them can consistently keep me away from that basket because they can't. Exactly. And the, what's the best case scenario is that Giannis goes, what, two for five, maybe three for six, three for seven from three. And any coach worth his salt, Steve Nash is not going to obviously not anymore, but you know, Nate McMillan's not going to look at a three for seven game from Giannis and go, man, better change up my coaching scheme. Got to go throw someone out on him, you know, hedge on all these screens. We got to switch everything. No, any coach worth his salt is going to look at that and say, we will take that 100%. Because it's not just Giannis getting buckets down there. It's all of a sudden you gotta throw two, three guys in the paint, you gotta help on every single dribble drive. And all of a sudden, you know, you're kicking it to wide open shots. It's helping this whole offense, and I think he's just gotta do more of that.
2: Despite all of that, it is providing some very entertaining basketball. Like I that's I do wanna mention that again. I'm also gonna mention again for the last time this episode, I promise. Suns in four. No. Speaking of entertaining sports and entertaining playoffs. I think we got to roll into the NHL really quickly.
0: Yes, sir. Both
2: Eastern and Western Conference Playoff Series tied it to a piece. New York Islanders Ryan Pollock. Oh my goodness.
1: City of New York, you better buy that man a steak dinner.
2: Oh my goodness. The entire city, the entire city of Queens, everybody on Long Island owes that man. What a Save the Varlamov was all the way on Mars and he comes in to save that. I mean, that that was a great way to, in my opinion. We talked about entertaining, and you know, that was a bite your nails, your heart starts pounding type of game at the end. There, awesome to watch. We also have on the other side. Montreal and Vegas. Vegas just tied up that series at two piece in overtime. I do want to mention really quickly in that series, Cole Caulfield, the rookie, Cole Caulfield leads rookies in the NHL playoffs with seven points. By far, by far the best rookie of his class so far. He's panned out amazing. He just got called up to the NHL just before they, Montreal hit the playoffs. He's been playing extremely well. Luke, we've talked about it. We didn't know if anyone was going to be able to, you know, blow by the lightning but i'm confident in the islanders right now i think their energy has been insane they're not backing down and yes especially with a lightning team that has a lot of firepower we've seen it this entire playoff series i still like the islanders i'm still going to roll with them uh for the rest of the series i i don't think i don't think you can deny that type of energy that they have and matthew barzell's been playing amazing so like brock nelson any thoughts from you guys?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think what you're seeing, you're seeing almost the same series in both divisions, where it's one really high power team in Vegas or Tampa Bay, and then a, a more opportunistic, grinded out on defense style with Montreal and New York. And you're really seeing like the grinded out, opportunistic style is really working. Yeah. Like New York's getting some great op- opportunities; they're flying. Like, they are soaring past everybody. Nobody can keep up with them speed-wise. And you're seeing the same thing with Montreal tonight. Montreal was skating circles around Vegas, and Vegas couldn't do a thing. And Vegas barely escaped with the win. Just some good goaltending by Robin Leonard. I mean, you have to say at that point, it's probably a good pull to take out Marc-Andre Fleury and start Leonard. But it's a fun series on both sides. You're seeing a lot of, you know, like there's no real certain, you know, like in the NBA, you know, during the 2015s, 2020 you know, you knew the Warriors were going to make it to the finals. You just knew that was what really going to happen. And we don't have that kind of certainty right now, which makes it more fun because, honestly, anybody can make it. Anybody can make it and anybody can compete. And I would honestly think nobody's going to be upset with whatever Stanley Cup finals we're going to get. I think Montreal and New York would be a lot of fun just seeing the two styles go head-to-head.
2: I, I do think that'd be great. And I also do want to point out that there isn't a single number one seed left in the NHL playoffs, which... I guess for us, like we, I mean, we've mentioned it time and time again. This, uh, this episode, entertaining as all can get. Watching these upsets in these series, I mean, we saw Colorado get uh, get beaten by the Vegas last series, with Vegas being the number two. Montreal upset in in seven, the amazing comeback against the Toronto Maple Leafs, the number one ranked Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Canadians were number four in their uh, in their bracket. The Lightning, number three, and the Islanders, also number four. We have two number four teams still standing. And for those of you who don't know, the lowest seed you can have in the NHL playoffs is what, Luke? Number four. That's insane! It's crazy. This is, this is, what, this is what makes it so entertaining for me. It's like with March Madness where you see all of these great upsets. It's like Oral Roberts being the 15th seed defeating Ohio State this year. That is what is making this such a great time, and I think like I mentioned, it is such a huge sigh of relief after the way the turn that sports took with the with COVID and in twenty twenty, it is awesome to see that back. And with fans. We do have to mention hockey with fans oh, again. Man. Oh my goodness. So good. So you, good. Watching the and I, I did deem it the bubble cup last uh last season with the NHL, it was just not the same. When you know, you hear that horn go off when someone scores and you expect to see however much or however thousand fans jumping and screaming and yelling having that back is just electrifying It, it makes all the difference in the world and for that is truly a sport where the fans do matter but um and like we've talked about it is we're just so happy to have all of this back and have it as close to normal as we can get i do want to predict it now i do think it's going to be the four seeds facing off in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think we're going to see Canadians, Islanders, Stanley Cup playoffs, Islanders coming out in six. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's what we're going to roll with. Luke, who's lifting the Stanley Cup at the end of the season?
1: I still got, like, I was calling lightning for a while, but I think i have got to change it up a little bit. I don't think they're going to make Let's it. Go. I think the Islanders are going to pull it out. And I honestly see the four seeds. I think, like, I watched most of tonight's game, and, yeah, Vegas pulled it out, but Montreal looks so much better. I see the four seeds facing off too, but I think Kerry Price might eke out one more win. And it might, I I could see it easily going to six or seven, though. It's not going to be an easy series either way. It's going to no, be national no. blast.
0: Both and, of, both of Luke's uh, championship pick teams in the NBA are currently sitting on the bench, but so are mine. And I Never said I was perfect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do also want to mention, obviously we talked about earlier. We, we do need to talk about Jack Eichel. Uh, obviously the Buffalo youngster. Does a lot of playing time left in his career? What team do you think needs him the most right now, Luke? Where do you think? What team do you think is really needing a Jack Eichel-esque player on their team?
1: Well, the interesting thing is, I think the Bruins could really use it but I don't think they're going to be able to get him. I think after getting Taylor Hall, they're they're going to try to re-sign their own guys and just keep it that way. I think the Wilds make a lot of sense because they've got a lot of good young talent. They've got a you know, decent, solid core. They've also got two um overall picks, first round picks, which would help a lot. They'd probably be able to, they'd probably send at least one of them over uh to Buffalo, which would also help Buffalo because Buffalo obviously has the number one overall pick. And then if you get another one later on, it's more times to rebuild. I could see the Wild doing that. I think also the Kings is a really interesting one, the LA Kings, because they're not that far off from really contending again. They're kind of in the rebuilding. They obviously let go of Jeff Carter, went to the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, But they're not too far off. They've got a good one-two punch. But it's going to be interesting. I think the one team that people are kind of saying might be a possibility that I'm not seeing is the Blue Jackets. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they've already, you know, they got uh, Patrick Line. I don't think they're going to swing for another guy. I think they're just going to try and, you know, figure out what they can do in the draft and just start building that way. But what are your thoughts, Alex?
2: To be honest, that's one of the things that we've, and I mean, we've mentioned it over and over with anything. Sports the... When it comes down to players like this and talks about where they're getting traded, we could see another... I, I think it's too soon to predict where exactly he's going to go, but I do think you are probably going to see as soon as the Stanley Cup playoffs are over, I think we're going to see teams and players calling for Eichel, wanting him to come join their team, wanting to see him in their own uniform. It'll be interesting. I don't I do agree with you. I do I don't think Boston has much of a chance to get him. I think they are going to stick with their guys. I do think the Wild I the Wild right now are my front runner. I think obviously they have potential with um I uh, they did just lose to the, lose the Knights this uh this season in the playoffs, but I do think they have a lot of potential. I do think that is a great spot for him to land. It is a hockey town, obviously a hockey state and i think that'd be a wonderful landing spot for him and i do want to speak of you know we just talked about the draft rolling into baseball as of about an hour ago the best prospect in baseball wander franco the switch hitting wander franco was just called up he will to the major leagues he will make his major league debut with the tampa bay rays on tuesday it is a about time! I don't know a single player in, or a single fan in baseball that has not been excited to see this kid play. Um, he's been with the Durham Bulls in AAA for a very long time. Um, the Rays, I believe, after a World Series appearance last year, they were the first team to forty the forty games, the forty wins this year. Excuse me. This is just the icing on the cake. This is just the icing on the table. And it, I do have to also say it is a great thing. It, it's another sign of the new generation of baseball players. We're starting to see the Mike Trouts, the Bryce Harpers of the league, start to phase into the veterans of the world. And we're starting to see these rookies. I and mean, we've got Casey Mize with the Tigers. We've got, obviously, now Wander Franco with the Rays. It That is a really cool part to see. I mean, it does just kind of mean we're all getting older. But um it, it does it is Thanks for thing. reminding me. <laughs> it is a great thing to watch and see and I'm excited, especially for the Rays. I think they do have a lot of potential as a team, even with Blake Snell being gone on the Padres. It is exciting and great to know that even with a trade like that that they are still kicking some butt and doing well. Also, as I mentioned, we do, we can't not talk about Jacob the ground. By far, by far, the best Our, I heard world. he's pretty
0: good. I heard he's pretty good. You heard he's, he's
2: pretty good. You yeah. ready for this? A the point, whole baseball thing? Good at it. A, a .54 ERA. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, that's ridiculous. That's insane. As a starter? Impossible. What, what, I, I don't... I remember specifically saying, However, years many years ago it was when he like cut off all of his hair that that was like that was he was it that was done he was done he had, the mojo was done I was like you've never seen Noah Syndergaard do that because his nickname is literally Thor. I was like I as soon as Degrom cut his hair, I was like no more. I could not have been more wrong. And for Mets fans, I'm sure they were ha- thrilled that I was wrong. Mets are currently first place in the NL East. It is great to see some of that. I mean, after signing Francisco Lindor this season to that mega deal, you did hope to see. I, 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 think all Mets fan, all, all baseball fans in general, thought he was going to be the team leader. It's clearly become Degrom. I think him and friend, uh, Fernando Tatis Junior. have become the most electric names in baseball at the moment. Um, obviously, Degrom on the pitching side, Tatis from a batter's point of view, and it's tough to put into words how. On, almost sad it is to see this generational shift. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still stuck on the Justin Berlander days with the Tigers. You know, I grew up him being my Tigers. Guerrera, yeah, I mean, I, I'm shocked is still in the league at this point. I think he's, he's served his time. He's done his due diligence, but it is... We're truly seeing a generational shift, and we're seeing a lot of young guys really step up and take the role. Do you guys have any thoughts on Tatis in general? I mean, the guy is... Awesome. and I forget, you completely forgot to mention the fact that someone as young as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is leading the league in home runs. He and uh, Shohei Ohtani, who Ohtani, however, just committed to the Home Run Derby. We'll get into
0: that in a second, but he also hit like three, four jacks on us in this series, so yes. that was great to watch.
2: Yeah, I mean, he I, again another one of those electric faces in baseball, and it it just really proved my point with the whole generational shift. Um I do think it is one of those things where we're going to see a bit of change into these teams. I I mean, we saw it with the Astros. They really, they tanked, they tanked, they tanked, they got they they drafted, they drafted, they drafted. I mean, Toronto's big stars right now, they got Bo Bichette, Vladimir McGraw Jr., Kavan Bidio, whose dad also played in the majors, he's a huge part of the Blue Jays farm system as well. So I do think we're going to see more and more teams start to build through the draft like Really, the NFL is the team that comes to, or the that comes to mind when it comes to building depth, at least in my mind as well. So it is interesting to see. Again, I hope the Tigers can do that as well. Um, but for Mets fans, I know they can't be more than thrilled. I mean, the Cubs are also hot. We can't not mention baseball without mentioning the Cubs. I saw a very, very interesting statistic, statistic the other day regarding Javier Baez, the Cubs shortstop who has been. A key part in their turnaround. I mean, obviously we know about the curse where they were you know, probably the longest slump besides the Red Sox for a long time. Then recently won the World Series in 2016. And as of June 15th, the Cubs were 34 and 19 when Javier Baez started for the Cubs this season. They were four and nine when he did not. That tells you something. Yeah. It's kind of important, yeah. I, I was recently, I mean, I lucked out. I completed a lifelong you know, bucket list dream of mine. It's going to a game at Wrigley Field, Memorial Day, Cubs-Padres. Padres, arguably at the time, the best team in baseball, the Cubs, right up there as well. And what do you know, Baez goes deep twice. Simply one of the most entertaining players to watch, along with Tatis, that was just a great game to go to. And I do think we're going to see a deep Cubs playoff run. If you think the Mets are going to make a run, obviously it's safe to say that um, even if the Padres don't make it all the way, because currently the Giants are leading that division, I think it's safe to say that we're going to see at least a runner-up for Tatis in the NL MVP race. But it is, I mean, who knows, by tomorrow we could be talking about how he's completely trailed off. That's the beauty of the MLB with a 162-game season. But obviously a lot of entertaining games coming up just before the All-Star break. Any thoughts from you guys? Checked out. Um, we also do have the Red Sox atop the AL East. I don't see them making playoffs. I think the Yankees are going to come back and take it. I think the Rays are going to. I think the Rays are going to come into the wild card. The Rays just lost six in a row, which I think prompted the uh, the Franco call up. But I think it's safe to say that we're in for a show with the MLB this season, um, especially considering last year they had a shortened season, and then the Dodgers came out on top in the World Series. It's so early. It's almost way too early to predict. uh, And, again, that's the beauty of the 162-game season. It makes the time like this way too early to predict who's going to win the World Series at the end of the year.
0: And We're going to fly into the Midwest Minute, where we're just going to highlight Every team in every league in the Midwest right now and just, uh, what they're doing. I've got a pretty easy, uh, pretty easy wrap up here for the NBA. Um, the Bucks found some way to win game seven, knock off the Brooklyn Nets. AD was like an inch and a half. I don't know. Those super long feet of his, uh, towing the line there from taking game seven from the Bucks. But Giannis had 40, 10 and five, as we talked about. First such game in game seven in NBA history. And they are waiting on the Hawks now in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, perhaps a date, uh, with the honest's first ring. We will see. Everyone else in the Midwest right now waits on the draft lottery, which is only two days away. Though I guess just one day from when this episode airs, it's airing on Monday. We're uh, recording right now Sunday night and ooh, <laughs> I am excited. It's the Pistons, baby! Top three draft pick for sure. Not really for sure, but I'm I'm speaking it into existence. It's draft day, which is the um Pistons Championship Day, of course. We got the Cavs, Bulls, and Pacers also waiting as well.
2: Wait, so so Christian, does that mean if the Pistons don't get a top three pick we can blame you? Cause we're really gonna need a scapegoat now if they don't if they don't get a top yeah. three pick.
0: Hey, we, we had the fourth worst record in the league last year and got the seventh overall pick. So a TV might end up broken or perhaps with a controller or a fist through it. If, uh, we end up out of the top three, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and blame like the league or somebody. I don't know. We'll yeah. See. It's definitely rage against Detroit.
2: Luke. Can, yeah, can we, we can go, we, Luke, can we agree to blame Christian for this if this doesn't Yeah, wrong? yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, <laughs> it's not gonna Christian at this point. Up.
2: It's going it's <laughs> to end up, I think, falling back on that. Um, and I think, obviously, rolling into that, into Midwest baseball. As we mentioned earlier, the Chicago Cubs have been rolling. Um, they currently are actually tied. For first in the AL Central with the with their rival Milwaukee Brewers also in the Midwest, both teams have forty wins and thirty two losses. Um, both are actually also on five and five. They're both five and five in their last ten games. Um, the big difference in those two teams is Chicago's the Cubs run differential is a plus twenty two. Milwaukee's is minus three. So I do think we will see from that alone. I do think we're going to see the Cubs start to pull ahead later in the year. Uh, moving over to the AL Central, which obviously is where most of our Midwest baseball teams are in the American League. Chicago White Sox are currently on top of that uh, division, 43-29. and 29. They are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and they're currently, unfortunately for White Sox fans, on a four-game losing streak. While every other team in the AL Central is currently on a winning streak, the, the Cleveland Indians, the Kansas City Royals, and the Detroit Tigers are all on one-game winning streaks. So the, the Indians are 7-3 and three in their last 10 and are currently in second place, two and a half games behind the White Sox. Kansas City is 3-7 and seven in their last 10 with a one-game winning streak. They are currently 32-38, 10 games back from the top of the AL Central. And then following them will be the Minnesota Twins in fourth place, 12 and a half games behind, 6-4 and four in their last 10 with a four-game winning streak. And to bottom out the AL Central, we have our favorite Detroit Tigers. 13 games behind on 4-6 in their last 10 with a one-game winning streak heading into play the St. Louis Cardinals on Tuesday. I do think the White Sox are going to roll through that division. I don't think anybody's going to catch up with them. They already have. I mean, there's already seven and, yeah, seven and a half games between Cleveland and Kansas City. I don't, I do think Chicago, I don't think Kansas City, or, Cleveland rather has the firepower to keep with the White Sox, so I do think I am confident to say that the White Sox are going to take that division. And Midwest baseball has been rolling.
0: I appreciate you calling it a win streak at one game. I just got it. You just know what?
2: You know what? I'm I'm rolling with it. A win is a win. A win streaks. A win streak. Mm-hmm. A win is a win. That's all I'm going to say. Baby
1: steps. Baby steps. That's all- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alright, and now moving into uh some Midwest hockey. Uh similar to uh Christian with basketball. It's you know, not that much going on right now. Uh most teams are just waiting for the draft, which will happen in July. Uh the Columbus Blue Jackets, they have the fifth overall pick. They were their worst scoring team last year, so they kinda need some scoring up front. But they're also looking to trade their uh star defenseman Seth Jones, so they could really use a defenseman. So it really depends on who's available, who gets picked before before them, but um Simon Edmondson, six foot four, 203, really good left-handed defenseman. Um, he looks really solid. You could also look at U of M's, uh, Kent Johnson. He can play either center or left wing, bring some scoring, depending on the rebuild. Um, they also have the 22nd pick, so they could go for some offensive depth there or defenseman, depending on what they picked previously. Detroit Red Wings, uh, sticking with some Detroit. They got the sixth overall pick. They have a solid core, honestly. Like, they've had some rough years, but they've got some good, talent around them they just have to kind of complete it bring it around together keep them growing um a little bit but I think the one that one position they really need is a good goalie um and Jesper Wallstedt is the top international prospect I think he looks really good I've been continuing to watch some of his tape he looks really good they've got two picks they've got both picks number six and pick number 23 and goalies have been picked very high in the top so it could happen at 6, but I also think it could happen at 23. And then they could look at William Eklund, left winger. Um, at pick number 6, he looks good. Um, Simon Edmondson also, is, if he's there, I think they'd be really happy with a good defenseman. But again, it kind of depends on who, they, who gets picked in front of them. And then pick 23, I think, will depend on what they get. Chicago Blackhawks, they have the 11th pick, and it's really big for them because they're going to decide if they're going to keep Jonathan Tays and Patty Kane or if they're going to blow it up. Um, but either way, they they could really use some solid wingers. So Matthew Coronado is really good. Scored 56 goals in 59 USHL games. So he can put the puck in the net. And really, that's all you need. We're seeing that in the playoffs. If you can put the puck in the net, you're going to be around for a long time. So it really depends. He can play center or wing. So you could play with Taves and Kane or replace one of them if they get traded. And last, but certainly not least, the Minnesota Wilds, who we talked about with the Jack Isle sweepstakes. Um, they, you know, they've got the 21st and the 25th pick. They need some right-wingers, so they'll probably look for some right-wingers, probably a two-way winger and then an offensively-minded winger. But we'll see what happens if they get Jack Eichel. I think they'll be really happy to give up one or both of those picks for him.
0: All right, we are sliding now into Michigan Madness, where we're just talking all our lovely Michigan teams, um Detroit in every sport, doing just so great right now. But to be honest with you, we got a lot of positives. uh, the future, I guess, maybe not uh so much winning right now. um We'll start over in the dime with What you got?
2: uh Speaking of positives, I mean, I do think the future looks very bright, and I think an example of that is Spencer Torkelson, who just got called up to Double A. Obviously, not in the majors as of yet, but the 2020 first round pick of the Tigers of Arizona State has been playing extremely well. I am very much looking forward to seeing him come to the major soon. I think mean, Casey mize has always been playing really well and I cannot mention Detroit Tigers right now without talking about Matt Manning, who personally I think did very, very well in his first career major league start. He was the twenty six he was the first overall or was the first round pick of the Detroit Tigers in twenty sixteen. Um the Tigers up and comer had five innings, through five innings, had allowed four hits, uh had allowed two earned runs and had three strikeouts. So not bad for his first career
0: start. Um,
2: I do also think it's, we talked about earlier with Houston, how they built through the draft and do, I do think Detroit has done a lot of that recently. I think that's been one thing that they've really emphasized is building the draft, building through young guys and trying to get a new generation of Tigers baseball. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I don't, I, I think Casey Mize has been a little bit up and down. I think so is true to ball, So it's tough to say exactly where they will be. Um, in the future i'm just like i said i'm just excited to see spencer torkelson at some point they're both uh obviously he's in double a he's got a, two more leagues to go through it's the impatient fan in me that just wants winning right now but obviously winning takes time to steal the philadelphia 76 76ers model trust the process
0: Hey, we but, might have seen the last of that. I
2: don't know. You know what? You're not building my confidence right now with that, <laughs> Christian. I need confidence <laughs> in this team, okay? And we got
0: to stay positive, but... I'll take a play. I mean, they've been in the playoffs the last, what, three, four years straight. I'll take that. No complaints there.
2: This is true. This is true. And, I mean, we do have to mention also other youngsters. Riley Green has been playing pretty well. Um It is a lot of... I think it's really much easier to pay attention to the minor leagues and their farm system than currently their uh their actual major league team but i do think we see a lot of promise obviously guys cameron just had to go ahead hit today against the angels which was awesome to watch in extra innings um who knows i i'm really i'm still sh- i'm still shrugging my shoulders i don't know what to think i'm not going to judge too soon I do think, but I do think there's a lot of promise in these, um, in our, uh, farm system as it stands. And I'm just looking forward to the Tigers future playoffs. That's all I'm going to say is playoff futures. Um, I do think we're going to see a playoff run by next, next season. I think the, a lot of these youngsters will have had a lot of time to prepare. And I do think we're going to see a, a great
0: Tigers team in the next couple of years. Are you calling it right now? Are you calling uh, a Tigers, uh, playoff bird?
2: I'm not calling it. I'm going to say I'm confident.
0: Oh. which is
2: really i guess the same thing
0: that sounds like a cop out is what that sounds like
2: i don't know man i i my my arms are in the air i, I uh, after i was spoiled because i think really my first a lot of my vivid memories were the 06 world series run and then more recently are you know the bash bros with um with prince fielder and miguel Cabrera. so I think it's tough. It's as much as, you know, we're trying to emphasize positivity. It has been a little bit tough, but I think a lot of these farm guys are going to be big one day. And I don't, I think that'll come a lot sooner than a lot of Tigers fans no. are thinking. So, you know what? Yeah, I am going to call it. We're making the playoffs next year. We're making the playoffs next year. You know what? I am going right. to call it. There you go.
0: I like it. We're marking it down.
2: And I, I, I do want to say if we're going to mention playoffs, do we see anything out of the Red Wings?
1: I'm not as confident as you are calling it for next year, but I think within the next three years, I'd be pretty comfortable calling that They're going to make the playoffs. I think, like I was talking about earlier, William Eklund, he's good. He's in, But the one problem that they've got, if they take him, is that they're drafting yet another winger, which is one of the easiest positions to replace in free agency or trading. And what they really need are more centers and defensemen, which are the biggest positions that you can get through the draft. But at this point in the rebuild, you know, you just take talent and you can kind of figure out the rest from there. But I think the one thing, if they don't go for Eklund, I think Simon Edmondson, if he's still there at six, I think he might go beforehand. But if he's at six, I think he's going to be picked up. He's a really good defenseman, really good at getting in the way of pucks. He's really big, looks massive compared to all the other kids. Really smart offensively and defensively. I think he'll be a really good two-way defenseman, which is really big. You really need a defenseman that can play both sides, get some goals, get some assists, but also... You know, block some shots, get the you know get their sticks in the way of some pucks, stuff like that. But I think the biggest, biggest one that they're going to see is Jesper Walstead get drafted by the Red Wings. I think that's going to be really big. You know, get a really good uh, goalie behind, you know, between the pipes. Just get that established, and don't worry about that anymore. You know, probably move on from Jonathan Bernier, get some good assets from your older guys, and you know, really embrace the youth movement. But I think with the next three years, they're going to be competing.
2: Do you think we can have a competing team with Jeff Blasho?
1: That's a tough one. It's, it's difficult to say because, you know, at some point you really got to see what you're going to do with a bunch of talent around, but also, you know, how long are you going to wait until, you know, you're willing to call it? But I think at the end of the day, you can really trust Steve Iserman. I think, believe in you know, Steve, exactly believe in Steve. He's done a good job so far. I think he's going to have a really good draft and really like he's going to move some pieces. He's going to be moving around a lot. So. I think you can easily predict a very active off season for Steve Ozman and the Red Wings.
2: And I mean speaking of coaches. Not too That's much cool. with not too much with the Lions happening too much, but we do have to mention mm-hmm. Coach Kneecaps. Mm-hmm. We gotta give our um, our mm-hmm. shout outs to Coach Kneecaps. I think this is probably mm-hmm. going to be an you know, an each episode thing where we're just gonna have to mention Coach Kneecaps. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. I can't
2: remember the last time the Lions had this much energy. Um especially out of a coach or a manage or someone in management, so that is really exciting to see. Um any thoughts on the Lions hopes for who knows? Can that All much energy give us a playoff run? All of the thoughts on
0: this. All of the thoughts on this. <laughs> um, that um playoffs might not be a recent um, you know, a near future thing. I'm gonna stay away from that with the Lions here. Uh, but I do like where we're starting because what we have is Mr. Dan Campbell, baby, coach kneecaps. And what is, what does coach kneecaps scream to you is beat you down low in the trenches, you know? And what did we do in the draft is we started building from the trenches. And I think that's an absolutely great decision. We got, uh, those two D tackles, Levi Onzuriki and Aleem McNeil who look just monstrous. And I mean, not only do I think they're gonna be a good duo, but you know, a little bit of um pessim- or um optimism there. Uh but I think, or not I think, they said they're gonna be a great duo. And they want to mess up offensive schemes. And that just seems like the Dan Campbell like Carson, through their veins is just like, you don't want to go like sack a quarterback, you don't want to go pick up them, you want to mess up offensive teams, just ruin their Sundays, you know? I think that's going to be absolutely awesome. And on the other side of the ball, obviously, Penny Sewell is an amazing pickup. He missed a uh, rookie minicamp with a positive COVID test, which I think, to be honest, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, he will have plenty of time to make that up because we will not be winning very many games this year. Uh, however, uh, Amon, Amon Ra St. Brown not only has perhaps the best name in football, um, Amon Ra is just so cool. My lord. But the biggest thing to me is that, uh, he told, uh, the media that Jared Goff took both him and a bunch of the skill players out to dinner in LA, uh, before, after the draft, but before kind of their rookie mini camp started. I think that's a great move. Obviously, we talked about Stafford, um, you know, just not being a Lion anymore, which is absolutely crazy to, you know, us kind of younger Lions don't, fans. Don't make me cry. No. Oh, don't point. make me cry. Uh, Stafford, seeing anyone else under center uh is absolutely wild to me.
2: It's going to be an adjustment. It's going to be an adjustment. Um It's going to take time, but um fingers crossed.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think Goff, I don't know, to be honest with you, total honesty, not the most confident in his ability to win uh with this team. But he has absolutely started on the right foot, getting to know those skilled players, not just football wise, but evidently there was a lot of personal talk, getting to know them as people. That kind of connection is a huge help, especially coming off a Rams team that had some really great receivers. And we don't have a ton of depth at receiver at all. Obviously, we lost Galladay. Of course, Mr. Marvin Jones is uh, down in Jacksonville now. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what we can do with the Lions at all, honestly. And um, I'm just going to shift over right into the Pistons because I think they've got so much more hope, uh, enough perhaps to make up for uh, what the Lions are doing. And we are waiting on that lottery, baby. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. I'm still blaming
2: okay. you if we don't get the third pick. Oh, our top three Don't, pick. It's don't still,
0: start. It's going to happen. You got you to heap some praise on me then if we get like the number two pick, then I'll take that as well. <laughs> All
2: right. That's,
0: that's a deal. That's a if deal. If we get number one, we'll buy you a steak dinner. How about that? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'll take me, I'll take me some Cade Cunningham. <laughs> I mean, uh, Luke's sitting there in an Ola Depot jersey back from the Pacers. I don't know. Um, they've got decent odds too. Uh But I think we're going to save the lottery till next week just because, you know, it hasn't happened yet. It's right around the corner, though. And I don't want to start talking about who we're going to draft at number one if we end up with seven. Um But they just recently released, uh, I think two or three days ago, the all-rookie teams. And who is making an appearance on the first team? Mr. Sadiq Bey out of Villanova, the greatest Piston of all time. I'll say it now. Um, and sitting just below him on second team, Isaiah Stewart. Big, big stew. stew. Oh, big, that is so cool that he's got a nickname in his rookie year. Big Steel That's is big awesome. Name. He embodies that same kind of mentality of just blue-collar Dan Campbell get to work in the trenches, in the post, grabbing boards. He was second on the team post-All-Star break, 7.6 rebounds. And a team best block and a half a game, 55% from the field. And here's the thing. I've got the, um, the vote distribution in front of me here for the all rookie teams. And if you look at the all rookie first team, there is not one single player over six five, not a single one. And you're making, you're talking about, especially with the all NBA teams, putting Joel Embiid. And the second team, just because Jokic was also a center on first team, you had to put the guy second MVP voting on the second team because you are trying to make a team, you know, point guard, shooting guard, small, big forward, and then a center. There is no center on first team. You know who'd have, who would have worked, you know, just perfectly in there at center? Middle of beef do Center that is in the voting? Do not understand how that works. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is all cosmetic. Second team versus first team doesn't really matter a whole lot. What does matter is how good these guys are going to be. And I hate to say it. I kind of don't. It it shows how replaceable the old-style centers that can just go to work and get rebounds are. Losing Andre Drummond and basically not missing a beat down there. But I am so excited for these young guys. That core of Sadiq. And Sue and Stu and Killian Hayes and of course Mr. Jeremy Grant second in MIP voting. Uh he did lead the team in scoring, of course. And I cannot wait to add fingers crossed Mr. Cunningham uh to this core as well. Stake so, um, on the line. Steakers yes, on the oh. line. So Christian, I'm curious. You're
1: not mentioning uh Seku Jumboya with that young core. Are you no, kinda uh, calling a quits on him?
0: Okay. okay. Alright. You're opening a can of worms here, and I'm going to be careful not to go on a rant. But Seiko, I'm actually, I'm holding out hope for Dune Boy. I love his game. I think it's kind of that Giannis-esque hit or miss Euro guy where you're just looking at, like, the length and the athleticism and the the way that he can get downhill. And he's got a decent outside shot. I'm not going to lie. I love Dwayne Casey, but I had a big problem with the way he played Seku in that he did not play Seku. like he would play decent in his minutes, but that was something I had. I didn't really like early on when uh, Svi was still on the team. It was basically mutually exclusive at shooting guard, whether Sadiq or Svi was on the floor. It was just, if one was playing well, the other would get zero minutes. I think it was the same kind of with Seku and some of the guys, even up at shooting guard at like Josh Jackson, uh, just kind of taking us, uh, uh, Isaiah Stewart just kind of taking minutes from him. Um, so I wasn't thrilled with him not playing as much, but as far as a significant part of our young core going forward, I don't want to go as far as pass on him, but I'm going to say I, re- I really hope he plays better. How about that?
1: That's fair enough.
0: And I think that will do it for our very first episode of Great Takes from the Great Lakes. Alex Dymel, Luke Mori, and yours truly, Christian Demet are signing off. And please share and listen to any future episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, of course, the Tunnel Vision website, and anywhere else that you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hope our uh, great takes were good enough for you today, and we'll see you next week.